0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, and you're listening to Testimony, a podcast telling the stories of how and why people became Christians. On today's episode, you'll hear from Jeremy Williams about the importance of being shaped by God through solitude and silence, and what Christian adults can do to help young people today. At the end of this episode, you'll hear a testimony submitted to me. It is a great story of God working through a mentor, a kid, and a preacher. Make sure to stay to the end to hear it. I say this every month, but I'd really love to read your testimony. You can share it with me by visiting testimonypodcast.com and filling out the form. I'll read some of those testimonies on the show. I'd also love it if you'd use that form to share with me the name or story of someone's testimony that you think I should share on this podcast. I mentioned in the last episode that I've reached out to one of my dream guests for this show, and she's agreed to record her testimony with me. I'd like to hear about your dream guest. Maybe they'll record their story with me too. Before we get to today's content, I want to make sure that you know that this is a bonus episode and it is meant to be listened to after the full-length episode that told the story of how and why Jeremy Williams became a Christian. If you haven't already listened to that, hit pause on this episode and listen to that one. It is the story of how God used the conversion of his dad, college young life, and a good mentor to help Jeremy's heart be changed for good. Next month's episode is with Dave Ebert. Dave is a former professional wrestler who now does stand-up comedy. More importantly, God saved him in an unexpected and dramatic way. It is a great story that you don't want to miss. Here's a clip of the episode that will come out on July 5th. It felt like God had had pulled himself even further away from me. It's like he got even more silent. And in that moment, I got angry. I got mad at God. Uh, I probably said some things, I can't remember what I said, but I probably said some things that were not very, very kind to God. But here's the thing, I got mad and I went home. But I went home. I didn't drive off the cliff. So it was like God laid himself down for me that night one more time to absorb whatever hatred or anger I had because he knew that's what I needed to go home. Again, you don't want to miss that story, so make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's more from my conversation with Jeremy Williams. So what's the furthest you've ever felt from God? I
1: mean, that's such a—it's an interesting question, um, but I'll just speak to it from what are moments that pop up for me, and I don't know if I would describe it as the for this, but when I think it, I'll just say that when I, when I was a senior in college, um, I was going to school full time. I was a captain on the Western Oregon football team. I was the team leader for the McNary High School Young Life Club. There was probably 150 kids coming every week, and I lived a half an hour away from where my ministry work was happening at McNary High School. And I just remember time, I mean, Morris, my mentor, um, I mean, we laugh about it now, but I remember just I would like sit in the shower <laughs> feeling uh and just let hot water run down. I mean, he, he jokes now. He goes, he goes, oh man, he goes, You were eating all our food and sucking up all our hot water. You know, I think I was totally oblivious to to any of that stuff. But honestly, I was just like, I can't hold it all together anymore. And so Man, that that was just like it was just this breaking point moment where I was like, I just can't do all this, you know, and and why am I saying yes to all this? And here I am, you know. I don't know if I'd say is the furthest from God, but man, the the most uh, pulled apart. You know, I just felt pulled apart in every direction, trying to be all things to all people. And on the outside, things look things were flourishing. I was team captain and a starter and an all-american and we had this thriving young life club and and i think sometimes that that's what happens we get we get young people and we just say look how keep it up great job you know and secretly they're dying and they don't want to let or i can't speak for all them but i know for me i was dying inside i mean tears sitting in the shower going i can't do this um but i didn't i didn't know what else to do
0: okay quick pause You just heard me ask and Jeremy answer a question about the furthest he's ever felt from God. This is one of my standard questions. I ask that during every interview for this show. I'm playing it at the beginning of this episode because I think that what you'll hear Jeremy say about rest, retreat, solitude, and silence in a second would have been really good advice for Jeremy in the moments you just heard him describe. I also think it's really good advice for all of us that are struggling with what I would call burnout. With that in mind, listen to this. You said a couple of things before we started recording um, about kind of rest and, and retreat. Uh, and I don't know, I, and I said, I, we didn't get that recorded. And so I don't know exactly if you remember what you were saying, but uh, I'd like you to say it again, if you can. I wish I had all the
1: scriptures right in front of me. But as I, well, one, I just think knowing yourself and knowing what you need as a husband, as a leader, to be not just to do what you want to do, but to be who you want to be for your wife, for your kids, for the church, for your friends. Like, how am I being shaped? How, what, how am I being shaped as a person so that I can be the kind of person that I want to be? And so when I looked at the solitude and silence piece, um, I've just had a blast, honestly, just studying. You know, like one of my favorite passages. Uh, so for me to be who I, I can't be who I want to be without extended solitude. That's one of my things. I want every leader I work with to know, like, I, I think of food and water, you know, like how long can you go without water? Like three days, four days. How how long can you go without food? A long time, like 30. You know, uh, there's, I think there's, there's practices and ways of walking with God and living that are like. Water practices, like you're going to get spiritually dehydrated in a hurry if you don't do that. Some are more like food, <laughs> and it's like, hey, you're going to feel malnourished over the long haul, but you might not see the effects right away. And so, for me, solitude is a water practice for me. If I don't get away, um, and so like one of my favorites, Luke five sixteen, says that Jesus got away often. To a quiet place to pray. And I just, I did a little bit of study around that. And that, that sense, that the sense in that passage is that Jesus was literally slipping out of the room. You know, that, you know, those moments where you just go, man, I kind of want to go, but I feel like I should say goodbye to everybody at this party. Or maybe you're at the end of church and you're going, "I, I really am done and I need to get out, but I probably feel like a responsibility as the pastor, Jesus could have felt a responsibility to say, Hey, it was really good to be with you today. But it was almost like Jesus said, Hey, what's that over there? And then just slipped out the door. And so, um, there's that there's, uh, in Mark says, Jesus, after, after they feed the 5,000 said, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go across. Jesus doesn't make people do things very often. Like he usually kind of gives an option. You want to follow me? Do you not want to follow me? It's up to you. But I thought it's fascinating that in this moment, now he just heard about John the Baptist being beheaded. So I think there was a sense of sadness in his humanity, right? Like Hebrews four, it's like he was tempted in every Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. So it's like, man, he gets and understands sadness. He gets and understands limits. He chose limits as God in the flesh on purpose. So he chose to need solitude, but he, after feeding the 5,000, after getting that news, he made the disciples go away. He made all the people go away that he just fed. And then he went up on a mountainside to pray. Uh, in Mark one, Jesus got up early in the morning, long before dawn and went off to pray. And the disciples say, everybody's looking for you, Jesus, what are you doing? Uh, and Jesus said, Hey, we actually need to go to another town. That's why I've come. And so oftentimes I just say, man, If Jesus needed to get up early, send people away, or sneak out of the room, and if he was tempted in every way as I am, then I probably need to build it into my life too on a regular basis. And I think in those three, to me, there's a sense of it's not just that five-minute devotional before you walk out the door.
0: I'm around young people, and they're really struggling right now. And you've talked quite a bit here about how you wish you would have had somebody uh, invest in you. What would you say to the adults out there about you know what what young people? I'll leave that broad need from them right now. I would say specifically Christian adults who uh, who you know care about investing in young people. What do they need?
1: Uh, the first thing that I would say is they just need your presence. They just need your presence because your presence of being available to them um, says you're safe, you're around, you're with them. Um, I've been really challenged. You know, I've done youth ministry my whole life and like, honestly, feel like I'm pretty good at it. (laughs) It's like I've, I've been good at people tell me I've been good at this somehow over the years, but.
0: I think you're very good at it. Sorry to interrupt (laughs) you, but I really do. You've done an amazing, God's used you big time.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I'm like, I look back and I like, I can't imagine being on a different journey and I've often looked at Araya and all the different opportunities we've had. And I said, if I can only do one thing, like I only pick one for the rest of my life. Like I'm going to run retreats. I'm going to go, like, it's just kids and Jesus period, you know? But, um, I was really thinking about my. I've got a freshman daughter, a seventh grade daughter, a sixth grade daughter, and a first grade son. And I just have, it is so easy as a parent. So I'm going to speak to the parent perspective to want so much good for our kids that we don't listen and be present very well. And so for me, it's like, man, I can be so quick to give answers so quick to give correction, so quick to give advice. And it's really, I think it comes from a good place. Um, but I think we have to remember that uh, like sometimes kids like they just need us to be there. (laughs) Um, so that's, I would say that that's one. Um, and that's probably more from the dad perspective than anything. And I'm noticing that, when I'm present and available, the conversations that I hope will come up start to come up more often. And they're far less forced and they're far more safe. Um, so that that's one. I, I think another one is they – again, I'm going to speak from parent perspective again – is finding multiple voices to speak into their life. Um, it's like, man, I need – a youth pastor, a coach, uh, you know, that are going to be building ideally into their identity, into their worth. Um, I mean, those are, I think those things are huge right now. There was a, there's a ministry. It's not a ministry. Actually, it's, it's, um, it's more secular, but I think sometimes things that are true are just true. It doesn't matter what labels on it. So, uh, I believe it's called search, but it's at Lake Oswego and they did a bunch of study on, uh, Kids that they deemed successful, and I I don't want to get too much into the road. Like, what does successful mean? But we'll just say like, hey, they've got some control in their emotions, and they can make decisions, and they have a sense of who they are. These things. Every one of the kids that seemed to be doing well had five trusted adults they knew they could go to, whether they had to go to or not, outside of their family. So, outside of mom and dad, they had five trusted adults: a youth pastor, an aunt, and uncle, uh, cousins grandparents, coaches, teachers, like the ones that were thriving had this village, you know, we joke about it, it takes a village to raise a child. It really does. They've got this village of people around them. And so like, honestly, even right now I'm going, Ooh, I'm, I'm kind of, it sounds terrible. I'm kind of recruiting people. It's like, Hey, can you just check in on so-and-so every once in a while? Cause I know there's things that she doesn't want to tell me and that's okay. Um, I think too, man, what I'm finding is uh when you consistently uh pray for kids and show up where kids are at and step into their world, uh you have a whole lot of right to speak into their life, and so man, the things that I've been doing for honestly like 25, 27 years is walking with Jesus myself, praying for kids by name showing up in their world and doing it as a team. Like it still works a hundred percent. It still works. It works in Franklin, Tennessee and Nashville and Salem. And um, it's just what Jesus did. And so I just call that like, that's the foundation to everything. Whatever program that you want to set up, everybody has, I call it bricks and mortar, right? Everybody's got whatever is, if it's a Wednesday night, uh, Wednesday night youth program or a Sunday morning or a camp or a retreat or a mission trip, They're wonderful. I just say those are all bricks. And you can't build without bricks. But if we're not careful, we pour all our energy into bricks and we're not really working with people. We develop a program and we miss. I just say, man, training and ministry, it's a relationship. It's always a relationship. And that's the mortar that holds it all together. So that's what they need. They need people, they need relationship. And man, with a brick building, if you stand back from a long ways away, nobody ever calls it a mortar building. Hey, look at that mortar building over there. <laughs> and quite honestly, a pile of mortar by itself is not very impressive to look at. But a pile of bricks without any mortar is not going to last very long at all. But that's what we notice first. We notice numbers. You know, we notice we, we notice programs. And programs are important. Like I said, it's, we need bricks. Um, but sometimes I think we're so focused on bricks. Kids need mortar. Man, they need to know, how are you really doing? What's really going on in your life? You know, I mean... I was with guys last weekend, seniors that are so scared of making the wrong decision. Uh, Seniors that are just going, I I feel like I'm not going to live up to my parents' expectations. They have no outlet, no place to talk about some of these things.
0: I thought this was the end of our conversation and started to wrap things up, but then.
1: Okay, wait, can I say one more? You said what young people need. I think there's ways to engage. If you, if we've done the relational work with young people, um, I think there's a lot of folks that are like, well, you can't, the, the Bible's irrelevant or kids aren't into it or they don't know what to do with it. Or um, I just think if we've done the work with the young people, that is 100% false. Like they're, they've got so many messages coming at them all day long. And actually, if we help engage them with the scriptures and not just tell them. They're really intrigued. And if we create space where they can engage with the scriptures and ask questions, I'll just tell you that I'm seeing kids get things um, that some people say isn't possible anymore. But there's a narrative and a script out there. It's like, well, we can't do that this way anymore. I was like, I I don't think that's true. I think you're saying that, but you might not actually be trying it. (laughs) Because if you've loved a kid and shown up in their life, you can actually ask a lot for them. I'll, you can actually ask a lot from them. You know, say, hey, would you be willing to check this out with me? And then once again, let God do what only God can do and let Jesus give them what only Jesus can give them and not me.
0: Before I let you go, I want to read to you a testimony submitted to me by a man named David. He says, I knew absolutely nothing about and cared nothing about Christian things. I'd never been to church, attended Sunday school, never opened or even held a Bible in my hand and didn't know even the most common, simple Bible stories. I prayed hard numerous times in my teen years, mainly of the bargaining type and asking to not get caught or in trouble over something I'd done. I didn't have a definition of who I was praying to, and if God ever did rescue me from my sin and stupidity, I never acknowledged it and just carried on being, well, me. Later, an important mentor in his life encouraged him to accept Christ. The question that lingered was simply, what happens next? Later, that same mentor asked a family to take David to church. The family had two young girls, ages three and four. One of their names was Karen. David goes on to say, While we were driving to church and I'm in the back seat, Karen climbed into my lap, cuddles me, puts her hands gently on the sides of my face, looks straight in my eyes and says, Uncle Davey, you don't know Jesus? My heart was bursting with a mix of fear, regret, and total joy. Her words cut me and healed me all at the same time. I managed to choke out, no I don't. Tell me, please. Karen went on to talk about her closeness to Jesus. We arrived at the Pinelands Methodist Church. This was my first time in any church. I was nervous about protocol and procedures stand, sit, kneel. I didn't know any of the hymns and I certainly didn't want to stand out like a sore, newly converted thumb. The pastor took up his place behind the pulpit and began to preach. I don't remember now what exactly he preached about. All I know is that the sermon was for no one else there that morning. It was prepared and written and shared only for me. As far as I was concerned, there was no one else even in the room. Everything he said was just perfect. It was like he was reading my heart and telling my story, including my secrets. And it ignited in me a love and a desire to know more. An immediate hunger that I sensed I could never fully satisfy. But I wanted it all. I was truly, truly lost. But now I am truly, truly found. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Again, if you want to share your story with us, go to testimonypodcast.com and fill out the form there. Finally, if you want to support this show financially, you can make a donation by visiting testimonypodcast.com and clicking on the big yellow button. Anything you contribute helps.